Hey guys, welcome back into another episode of Painting Prospects from Floor to Ceiling. I'm your host, Brandon, and I'm here with my co-host as usual, Ash. How's it going, buddy? Yeah, good, buddy. Being busy, but uh, good to uh, finally sit down and look at this Q class. Yeah, it's been a little bit, but it's good to sit sit back down, and uh, especially now that we have the draft lottery all out of the way, and uh, you might have a little more clarity on where some of these kids might be going in the upcoming draft. Uh, and I don't think we need to waste too much time at all. And we're going to talk about uh, what should be the future star for Team TBD. And that will be uh, Alexi Lafreniere, who's a left wing from the Rimouski Oceanic. Um, and there's been so much said about this kid. And I don't know what what's left to be said because we're talking about uh, the kid who's won two consecutive CHL Player of the Year awards. And he's the only player to do that other than Sidney Crosby. So that's the kind of player we're talking about here. Uh, 11, 112 points this season in the queue in 52 games for the Oceanic. Um, just a pure skill, uh, high processing speed winger that should make an offensive impact in the NHL from day one. Yeah. And as you said, like the quality, like, you know, being up in the air, the same air as Crosby is no mean feat. I mean, this guy's pretty much been penciled in as the number one pick for the best part of two or three seasons now, and he's done nothing wrong whatsoever in, in his journey from that time to now. I mean, I don't like comps as as much as, you know, some like. I, I keep hearing, you know, people say, like, this guy's sort of reminiscent of, like, a Brad Marchand type player, but, I mean, the, the, the combination of his competitiveness, his skill, and... Even just his readiness in terms of his physicality, it's just such a, a perfect blend for what you'd say is a prototypical modern hockey player. I mean, you watch Lafreniere and it's like you fall in love with what he does. I mean, he, he plays with that little bit of nasty, a, a bit of chippiness. But the ability he's got to read the play, beat you to the puck and basically punish you every chance he gets when he's got a tiny window of space. I mean, to me, I watch the way he plays and there's almost a sense of like a the, the style in which Jonathan Huberto is able to sort of compliment Barkov. I mean, I never thought Huberto was ever going to be a 9,500-point player. I, I didn't think that. I mean, I thought he had it, and he had a slow progression. It took a little while for like a guy like Huberto to hit his ceiling. I mean, he's what twenty-seven now, and he's playing his best hockey, and which is fine. But I think Lafreniere can be that kind of player, that smart playmaking winger who can really offset um, a a skilled centre. And I think that he can sort of get to that uh, sort of Huberto type level relatively a lot sooner than what Huberto did at 27. I think we're looking at a player that's going to be a 95, 100-point player constantly and sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think – so Huberto is the player that I've seen brought up a lot in comparison with Lafreniere, and I do think there's some similarities there, absolutely, because uh, you see the high skill from both those guys and just how much of their – they're both such great offensive catalysts yeah. from the wing where they almost impact the game in the way that a center can, but they do it from, you know, the wing position yeah. where they're able to dictate the pace of play, uh, create offensive opportunities. Um, and you mentioned it well, something that's so attractive about Lafreniere is that physical bite that he has. Cause you don't see a lot of players that, you know, can 
hang 100 on, on you in a season, but then also lay the body and dish out punishment the way he has this past year in the queue. Um, and we mentioned this kid's been on the radar as probably the first overall pick in this draft since he's probably about 15 years old. And uh, I think something that you see in him is you see that competitive drive in him because every single year you see, see him come back for another season in the queue and he's added another element to his game. He's come back, you know, after his sophomore year and he added, you know, that physicality. And then uh, coming into this season, I always had somewhat of a concern about like maybe maybe the foot speed isn't that good. Like I'm, I don't love the, the speed all that much. And that's another aspect he added this year where you can see him fly down the wing on occasion. And uh, it's the kind of kid where he's already so skilled and he has that drive to be better and push himself and he's going to keep getting better. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see this kid come in and uh, hang 60 in the NHL next year as a rookie. I think you can put him right in that class that we've seen come through the NHL recently, like with the Matthews and all those types of players where they're going to jump right into the pros and they're not going to skip a beat at all. And and the crazy thing is too, of course, going to team TBD is he could walk onto the first line and have possibly an all-star center straight up depending on whoever gets that pick. I mean, we're not talking he's going to be going to a team where he's automatically almost going to be the best player, which is fine. Some, you know, he could be the best player on a on a, you know, a lesser team in in one season, two seasons time. But to walk onto a team that quite possibly could be a perennial playoff team and not have the 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 burden of being the guy to resurrect a franchise and just go out and play and enjoy it. I mean, imagine how scary that's going to be, like not having the weight of the expectation of having to be the face of a franchise as an 18-year-old, but just going in and actually being a complimentary piece, almost like how prospects used to be. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a there's a certain um, feeling around that for me personally that he can just, if he does go to a decent team, that there's going to be the sense of he's not the saviour, but he's for the most part, a complimentary piece, but a really good one, at least for the time being. And then he can then transition to be like the face of the franchise at a later date. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And I think if you look at the teams that are in the running because of the way this is structured now, you can look at those rosters and you can see some like future pairings that you can have for this kid. You know, when I picked Jets, it was their slot that won the lottery. You're talking this kid come to the NHL and have Mark Scheifele as his centerman for his rookie season. Or like, how about you pick up the Florida Panthers? Maybe you throw him on the other side of Huberdeau and Barkov. And that's where you can slot this kid next year and five years down the road. And uh, I, we were both pretty vocal. We weren't massive fans of how they handled the draft lottery this year. But you got to say just from the pure aspect of how you can see this kid's career projecting, that part's got to be really exciting where you can see this kid come in and uh, have quality line mates and be able to uh, not to shoulder the burden right away and be able to develop into a superstar the way it used to happen. Now that'll move us right along to another player who actually played for the Canadian world junior team this year, right alongside Lafreniere. And that'd be Dawson Mercer, who is a right wing slash center for the Chicoutimi Saganines. Uh, it came over from the trip in a trade mid season from the Drummondville Vol- Voltageers. Uh, and he had a really good offensive season this year with 60 points in 42 games. And uh, what I always saw with him, especially in, is a D minus one year was a, I saw a, a really competent two way player with some good 
uh, foot speed, a good shot. And I think this year you saw him add some more aspects to his game that make him a much more dynamic player. Because I think something you saw from him a lot this year was he has a really underrated pair of hands and he has some skill that can uh, generate chances for both himself and his line mates as well, which um, I think if you're looking for a player who on draft day could be the surprise top 10 player, like the player that goes a lot higher than we thought makes everyone go, whoa, on draft day, I think Dawson Mercer could be that player because he has the skill and he has that workmanlike attitude that I think a lot of teams are going to like as well. Yeah, and the thing with Mercer as well, is you know he did make that transition to center, uh, as you mentioned. He he is versed at both positions, but if he's able to actually stick at center, um, along with like the hands, as you said, but he's very underrated. Like his hands, like in close, um, just the deft passing that he possesses, just the ability to make his own space. Like with Mercy, you don't get a ton of foot speed. Like he's not, he won't burn you end to end like. Uh, like a, a foodie will, but his edge work and ability to um, just basically make his own space is, is really, really, really key. And, um, but if he can stick at centre, get better at face-offs, um, can be a bit more responsible defensively. I mean, we're talking, as you said, he could be one of the surprises, but have, being a centre and actually sticking... Um, to me, it just puts a bit more value on Mercer. And he's one of those guys that when you watch him, it's there's nothing really high-end, high, high end, but just he's so clean and just like he's like he's just been so well coached, there's no real big flaws in his game. And, and to me, Mercer is the type of guy that... On draft day, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset if I saw him, you know, pick tenth because there is that sort of um, aura about him where you know that there's just still more to come, and and especially when he did get traded, he did play more of a reduced role, and switching to centre, there was an adjustment period for him, but just the start that he had, he was on a really good pace, like he was what near what two points per game to start the season, and. I think he's in for a big season next year, next season. I think that there's enough there, um, whether or not he's at wing or centre. I think that, especially from his D minus one, drafty minus one to this season, he had a really good progression. And um, I think having, I mean, it sucks that we don't get you know this this sort of this downtime now where we don't know what type of preseason these kids are going to have. We don't know how much prep they're going to have before next season properly. But um, I think I think I think that we both possibly undervalue him at eighteen. But he's just so hard to place because you don't actually know whether he's going to be a centre at the next level yet or a winger. So there's sort of for me personally, there's a not a hesitation, but a question mark as to how I rank him based on what his position will be eventually. Yeah, we were talking before we we started recording that he's a he's a very hard player to place in this draft. Because uh, there is a wide range of outcomes for what Mercer could be. But uh, if a team did like him at, say, around 10, um, even though we have him at 18, I see I do see a scenario where uh, that could be a suit value down the, down the road. Like I see a path where in maybe five years we're talking Mercer at 10 was a perfectly fine pick. Uh, because like you said, if he sticks at center, especially in a draft with so few centers available and such a valued position, um, if he's able to stick there, that's um, he would definitely outweigh the value of a pick if he dipped into the teens. 
Um, so there is a lot of, uh, I think there's variance in what you there could be there for him because you could get maybe a really solid all situations top six center, or if things break the other way, maybe you're getting more of a middle six all situations winger, which isn't a bad thing to pick up in the first round, but it's definitely not the kind of value you'd want in the top 15 of a draft. Uh, so I think there, that is some of our reservations there is just the range of outcomes that there could be for Mercer. But I think the both of us, we see that outcome where he could be worth that value in as a top 15 or even a top 10. And, and what I do like about Mercer also is the ability to help his defense and especially, um, just the way he back checks and even the way he four checks. I mean, for a skilled player, I think that's, uh, a really good asset to have a guy that can actually go and dig for pucks and recover pucks. Um, and, and the beautiful thing about Mercer too is, is a lot of, you know, those guys go in and, and get the puck recoveries and whatnot, but he's also got the skating ability and, and the vision and the hockey senses to actually, you know, uh, exit the zone himself or, or create off of it. He's just not like a, a guy that will go in and bump you off the puck and sort of, you know, skate off, but he's actually a type of guy that can create offense off that which is, uh, I think, sort of like a lost art in terms of um, skilled forwards, having that ability. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think that'll move us along nicely, actually, to another player from the queue who had another big season. Uh, I think he sh- shares some of those same attributes that Mercer does quite well, and that would be Maverick Bork, who's a, a center slash a left wing from the Schwinnigan Cataractis. And uh, I think he does that quite well, uh, where he has that ability to uh create off the cycle and uh, create down low in the offensive zone. He reaches the offensive zone so well uh, that maybe he doesn't have some of the dynamic foot speed elements, but the way he's able to read plays is how he's able to contribute offensively. Yeah. And, and also to one thing that um, doesn't really, well, not that I, I don't think he's unappreciated, but something I we don't really hear too much about is he actually has a pretty good shot. I mean, everyone talks about with Bork, like uh, he does have some lack of foot speed and um, people talk about his IQ and the way he's sort of able to read the play and get ahead of the puck. And But, I mean, he scored 25 even strength goals this year. And I think any player that can get up and around that range um, is a is a really good scorer and and Bork is much like Mercer is also hard to sort of I mean those two for me are, are pretty much like players in terms of what they've produced and what their both their possible ceilings would be but for me Bork just has a bit more like fair enough he doesn't really have the possibly the hands is what Mercer does. But for me, there's just more of an X factor in terms of what his ceiling could be for me. I think that there's the goal scoring potential. Um, I think that his, uh, the way he thinks the game through, the way that he moves, the way he's able to sort of dictate play, even when he isn't actually in possession of the puck. Um, I think that for me is a really translatable thing. And, and, and Bork, you know, he when we talk about players shouldering a load for their team, I mean, Bork did it all. I mean, we're talking about a player that, I mean, he was responsible for like 40% of the team's offense. I mean, he was put in a position where he, he was basically driving the ship. And, and I think that, um, I don't know, Bork's the type of guy that, 
when I look where the abs might pick, I know he's you know he's the type of guy that I get excited about, but it's just I think I think he's one of these players for me that is just sort of being underappreciated a bit in this in this draft class, much like Mercer. I think the Bork has uh, a lot more to give than what we've seen so far. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm glad you brought up his shot because I 100% agree with you that he has an underrated shot and. Earlier on in the season, I feel like when I watched Bork, uh, I was when I walked away, I was a little underwhelmed with some of the puck skills. I didn't love the foot speed, but something that stood out to me uh, was his shot. I thought he had a really good shot, and I feel like no one really talked about that through, throughout the entire year. And uh, I think, even though he, I think he he thinks the game more as a playmaker, I think he's a good play facilitator. He does a good job of driving pucks to the center of the ice, and I think that's why you see uh, such a high amount of assists for him this season. Um, it's just how well he's able to filter pucks to high danger areas. But if you watch this kid shoot the puck, he can really rip it. There are some times that you see some inconsistencies there. He does struggle sometimes to always get the full punch behind his shot. But when he gets all of it, he can really rifle a bullet on net. And uh, I've seen him a few times, you know, pick corners, uh, short side on goaltenders, go up high. Uh, and I think that's a part of his game where um, if he can learn to pick some good spots to shoot and, uh, get more consistent with how he releases the puck and always get that same power behind it. I think there's a lot of untapped potential there as a goal scorer. And I know this player is in the queue, but that's what I also see in Alexander Passion as well. Um, almost the the shot selection and just the knowledge of um, sometimes just what's around you sometimes, like, you know, taking shots that not necessarily aren't there. I mean, I've got no problem people who want to shoot. If you want to shoot, shoot. But... Sometimes there's just better plays there. And I think Bork, as good as his shot is, uh, the consistency in the shot itself and even his shot uh, shot selection at times, as you said, can be somewhat uh, a bit dubious and a bit questionable. But in terms of working with that tool, you know, being his shot, there's definitely more upside than negative. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's it's a similar thing to what we talked about with Mercer. Um is there's just there's just variance in what he could be, with uh with some of that offensive ceiling ceiling where, um if it does if his goal scoring toolkit doesn't fully develop maybe he never becomes that full goal scorer so maybe he's more of a middle sixer but there's also outcomes where he could someday turn into a very reliable second line center and I think that's why you see some boards uh, have Bork even somewhere some places around twelve and thirteen and uh, if you look at the way he produced and some of the players that project uh, with the way he's produced. That's not an unreasonable take to have. Uh, I think we both have reservations for a lot of the same things, but for Mercer and Bork alike, I think there's variance in what they could be and maybe why we're a little more hesitant, but uh, there's definitely outcomes where they could be very reliable top six producers at the NHL. And uh, I think that'll just about do it for Maverick. And then we're going to move on to another epic first name from this from this draft, and that would be Hendricks Lapierre, a center from the Shakutami Sanganids. This season, he had a season cut pretty short for uh, injury issues. He had a uh, he had a concussion that cut his uh, season short this year. And through through nineteen games, you know, he was doing fine. He had seventeen points, uh, but fifteen of those were assists. And I think that's the perfect lead into what this kid is at at his core, and that is a dynamic pure playmaking center and we got to see that especially at the uh 
uh, the Linka Gretzky tournament last summer where he got to skate on a line with Cole Perfetti. And uh, those two just ran house on that tournament. Uh, they were the top two point producers at that tournament. And I think that's where you can see LaPierre really developing into a top six center at the NHL is especially if you pair him with a dynamic, hard shooting winger like Cole Perfetti, like he had at the Linka. This kid is going to be able to facilitate plays and rack up the assist totals uh, in bushels. And I think one of the things that makes them as exciting as he is for me, because I really love this kid, is not only the vision and the crisp passing ability, but uh, the dynamic set of hands that he has as well. He can really hang on to the puck. There's times where he looks like he has the puck on a string, the way he can stick handle with uh, the puck on his stick. And I think that adds a lot of play creation ability to his toolkit where he's able to create passing lanes, uh, create space for himself. And I think it's that mixture between offensive smarts, vision, and puck skills is, what, is what's going to enable this kid to play at the National Hockey League level, providing he can stay healthy. Because that's the risk with him there is, can this kid stay healthy enough to the point where if you take him in the first round, you're going to get your value there. But I think if you look at his offensive toolkit, there's not a whole lot of concerns I think the only concern I'd really have there is uh, I don't love the foot speed. I think he can struggle to create space. Not a lot of separation speed there, but I think that's some technical aspects of his skating that I think can be ironed out. Um, I think his stride can be a little wide and doesn't get full extension when he's skating with the puck on his stick. But I think that's something where if you get him a good skating coach and iron that part out of his game, you're getting a really well-rounded offensive player with a lot of upside as a top playmaking center of the NHL. And yeah, just just quickly touching on Lapierre as well. As you said, like the puck skills, especially for a, a, a player who may not have, you know, um, that that sort of two step quickness, the separation speed, may not have the, you know, the superior edge work, but to have the puck skills to extend plays, especially in the offensive zone, to open up those passing lanes, those seams, is really key. And as you said that you know the vision the creativity it's all there and what i really like is just the calmness like he plays with such a cool head and and especially for centers a lot of the time they want to go 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 um and really want to drive the play quick and sometimes that can create unnecessary turnovers but the way he sets up and reads the play there's just this calmness this poise that um, is one thing that, especially when you hear about Lapier, you just hear about you know the concussions and you hear about his shot isn't good enough. But it seems like there's so much negative around Lapier due to the injuries. But you have to understand this guy was. I mean, we're talking about a, a possibly a top ten talent if he stays healthy. I mean, <laughs> there's not a lot of in terms of flags with him, bar his health. I mean, we mentioned, like, he's a heavy assist type player um, and that his shot may may be not quite um, uh, there yet. But you have to remember, he's missed a lot of time too. We didn't get to see a full, you know, a season of, of growth. And so he's had that taken away. But I don't think in any way it should actually affect um, his stocks. I mean, he will slip purely because it's a big risk to take a guy that's got such a, a medical history like he does. I mean, we're talking concussions, which is no joke. So, yeah, I feel sorry for him, but um, all in all, if he can 
legs stay healthy, uh, someone's going to get a really good player probably late in the first, early in the second. Yeah, and I think that sums it up very nicely for me is because I see I see a top 15, top 10 toolkit in Hendrix Lapierre. And I think a lot of people, it was an eyebrow razor when on TSN's final rankings, Lapierre was still in the top 15 because you, you've seen him slip on a lot of boards, especially online. Uh, but I think so much of that concern is just it's just risk assessment when you're looking at his injury history. Because uh, even though you see that that top 15 playmakers toolkit, it's if you're a scout and you get one pick per draft, that's going to be your pick that you put your head on the line for with your GM. Are you going to put it on the back of a kid with concussion issues? I think that's the issue with him and why you're going to see him probably fall a little further than he should based on his toolkit. But if things break right for this kid and uh, he can hopefully stay healthy, and I'm praying for this kid to stay healthy for his career, I think there's a really dynamic playmaker that is just hiding in there if he's able to stay healthy. Now, moving on, we're going to touch on a pair of St. John Sea Dog defensemen, uh, which would be podcast guest William Villeneuve. Willie and v. Jeremy, Willie V. And Jeremy Poirier. Um, Villeneuve is a right shot 6'1 defenseman. Jeremy Poirier, a left shot 6'0 defenseman. Um, and we're going to start here with Villeneuve. And I'm curious what your take is on Willie V. Well, you know I'm a fan of Willie V. And what... I mean, I don't know if you follow... You you you, you follow Willie V on Twitter, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of commotion lately, especially with... Uh, who we're going to talk about after him, Poirier. Um, and there's been somewhat, I wouldn't say there's been a, a lynch mob towards those two, but there has been somewhat some, uh, we'll say, not character attacks, but possibly attacks on um, their style of late. And, and a lot of people have been sort of saying that, you know, these two guys are, are almost polar opposites in terms of playing style. But... I don't think people actually realise just how good and and how good Villeneuve actually was compared to Poirier because Poirier gets a lot of attention, both good and bad. I mean, he's Poirier's one of these prospects that they're almost polarising. And here I'm, we're blending the two, but we can do that. They're, they're you know, they're on the same team. But Poirier is, is, is polarising. I mean, you talk about his shot. I mean, there's some forwards in the top 30 of our rankings that would like Poirier's shot. But there's also the downsides with Poirier when you talk about, uh, you know, the skating, um, his thinking under duress. But when you look at, Villeneuve, he basically offsets everything that we look at Poirier and say he lacks in. I mean, Villeneuve admits like he's not the best skater. Like he is a bit choppy. Um, his posture isn't probably what it should be. But he pro- he still produced. And when I look at a player and say, well, there's a, probably a bit of a deficiency in whether it be something technical or a thought process they have... But when a player can still produce and still have a deficiency, you can say, well, when they iron that out, what's their actual ceiling going to be? I mean, Villeneuve had what? Um, 58 points yeah, this year. And he, and he had eight goals and 21 at even strength. 21 assists at even strength, eight goals. 
and we're talking about a guy that uh, his skating might not be that good. Um, he doesn't have you know top end speed, but he's got twenty nine even strength points. I mean, who else has got that? Yeah, and uh, I guess I'll keep lumping them into the the same discussion. But yeah, uh, you look at Villeneuve and Poirier and how they generated their points. They're just so different. Yeah. Because Poirier, you mentioned there's forwards that would love to have the shot that Poirier has. There's forwards that would love to have any part of Poirier's offensive game. Yeah. If you're talking skating, puck skills, shot, uh, offensive vision, he has it all. And he's a dynamic player with the puck on his stick. Villeneuve doesn't quite have that, but Villeneuve pr- produced more this season than Poirier. And I think that comes down to uh, there's a lot of offensive IQ there where maybe he's he's not blowing your pants off with all the plays he's making, but he makes a lot of very smart plays in the, in the offensive zone. Now, I do have issues with his all-around IQ uh, when it comes to his positioning on the ice. Uh, I think there's some defensive deficiencies there. I don't love the defensive game, but I do have a lot of questions on if that's Villeneuve's fault or if that's just uh, a symptom of how St. John played hockey this year. Because that team bled goals all season. And part yeah. of me has to believe that it can't just be the personnel where it has to be something they're doing systematically where they're just playing river hockey all year. Cause like I, I watched a few games this year where the final score ended up being like nine to six yeah. in a St. John game. And I think sometimes when you see the two of these guys makes just these defensive blunders, I do wonder if it's a thing systematically where, they're being told by their coaching staff to keep pushing play and not worry about the defensive side of the puck because they're just trying to outscore their opponents. Because the way Villeneuve especially thinks the game on the offensive side of the puck, I have to believe he's a smarter player than that. And I think that's where some of the projection comes where you're going to, if he's to become an NHL defenseman, I think it's on the back of his IQ because it's we don't see a lot of dynamic skating right now. We don't see a lot of dynamic puck skills, but it's the decisions he makes on the other side of the puck is what allows him to be an offensive producer. And But also, too, that team was just like, even we look at that team, that's a that's a very young team. And, and now, of course, they've traded Kajkovic. So they've, they're again getting younger. They've inked uh, their first round of pick from the, the Quebec draft in Logan Carruthers. So they're almost retooling again, but younger um but as you said I, I think that it's not so much a skill set problem with when we're talking especially about Villeneuve I think it's more so um but there is a, especially when you play with a guy like Poirier there's a lot of pressure on you defensively because you know Poirier isn't going to be the guy that is going to be stick checking guys he's not going to be the guy that's going to cover your portion of the ice if need be like he's going to be pinching up you're going to be in a lot of situations where you've got a lot to cover and it's a lot of pressure but when you're talking in regards to Villeneuve the smarts I think that in a way having that pairing together almost takes away from their strength a bit because the way they offset I think that it doesn't allow possibly Villeneuve to be positioned where he probably wants to a lot of the time or where he needs to be because Poirier is that guy where if there's a chance to join the rush and to hop into the play 
regardless of basically what's around you, he will do it. So I think there is somewhat a a certain way you have to look at it. I think you can't. Uh, I don't know. It's I don't know. It, it's hard. And and the I suppose the the blessing is is that they've got a really good young offensive core. Like we're talking about Brady Burns, who we'll talk about later on. Uh, Joshua, who's looking possibly a top fifteen pick in next mm-hmm. year's draft, a really good center. I think he's going to be a beauty. But as you said, there is this sort of game style that's so run and gun. And I don't think... I think it suits Poirier in a sense that it's offense. But I don't think it suits Villeneuve. I think that he basically just doesn't get to display um, his full repertoire of his smarts. Yeah, and I think we'll move on to... Since we're talking about a couple of guys who play some maybe more high offensive game, I think we're going to move on to a safer defenseman from the queue, and that would be... Justin Barron from the Halifax Mooseheads. And Barron coming into this season, some people saw this kid as, uh, some made the argument he was the slam dunk number two defenseman coming into the year. Yeah. Uh, the right shot defenseman, six foot two. And he took, he took a tumble this year. And I think some of those, some of the reasons why he fell down were a little out of his control. He had uh, some health concerns during the year. I believe he, Unless I'm thinking wrong, I think he had a blood clot issue mid-season, he which did, held yeah. him out for about half the year. And I think because of that, we didn't get to see the full story with Baron. Uh, but I'm curious what you saw from Baron this year. Baron, to me, injury aside, I thought he was going to come out and I know I, I think there was a lot of. I mean, I, I understand the hype, but. The hype also, you have to think, we're talking, you have to factor in the relative, the relativity of the strength of the draft class. I mean, we're talking, everyone's saying, oh, Baron is the number two defenseman. But in the overall scheme of things, I think that was almost a, I mean, there has to be a number two defenseman. You know what I mean? Someone has to be the second best defenseman. Sometimes it's clear cut. Sometimes you can throw three guys in the mix to be the number two. But as we're getting closer to this draft, now there's even more, there's chatter that Jamie Drysdale isn't even the best defenseman in the class. Do you know what I mean? There's people saying, well, Sanderson's got a bit more, um, a bit more uh, upside to his game. And all of a sudden it's like, well, well, that was Justin Barron a, se- a season ago. We're talking about Justin Barron as a, a, a top 10 pick. You know, he was the second guy off the board. I didn't quite, and we didn't really get much of Baron. We didn't really get a full season. We got a snippet. But in that snippet, I saw, um, I don't think he'd actually sort of elevated a whole bunch. I mean, we talk about Baron like he's a really smart two-way guy that you can hang your hat on to play big minutes in the top four. He can play probably, I don't think he's got the, the dynamic ability to probably be the guy that plays 26 minutes on your top pairing. I think he's that middle pairing guy who's probably going to play 20, can play power play, penalty kill. I look at Baron is almost like a Mr. Fix-It. I don't think he has elite offensive upside. I like his defensive upside. But to me, I th- I look at him and I think he's the ultimate Mr. Gadget. He's a gadget guy. He's Mr. Fixer. I, I think that um, 
it's interesting because when I look at Jared McIsaac, former Moosehead, I was higher on McIsaac than what I was at Barron pretty much at any point. And I think that when I look at the two, I mean, Jared McIsaac's a physical guy. He will run you through the boards and he's tough. He's smart. He does a lot of things that Justin Barron can do as well. But at the end of the day, I don't think Barron has that much more of an offensive ceiling over a guy like, say, McIsaac, where I can say, well, I think he's that much greater. I mean, I'm not knocking Justin Barron here because it's, you know, it's not his fault he got a blood clot. It's not his fault he got a full season of playing. But just from last season to what we've seen basically till now, there's just not that wow factor that, I mean, I understand he could be a safer pick because he's so polished. But for me personally, I look for polishing a bit more. If if he's going to be my number two guy, um, I need a bit more than polish and, and safety. Otherwise, I might as well just take it Ryan O'Rourke. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with what my thoughts on Baron are as well, which is, so a year ago, I think what people saw in this kid that was so enticing was uh, how smart he is and how polished he is and uh, just what a strong two-way presence he is. And I think people were looking forward, were like, wow, he's already so polished. Imagine if he adds one more tool. Yeah. And we talked earlier, and obviously Justin Barron is not Alexi Lafreniere, but we talked about how Lafreniere came back every year and he brought his skill set and something else. He added something in the offseason. And I'm not sure we saw Barron do that because he came back, he was still the same two-way cerebral player, really good positioning, thinks the game really well, plays efficiently. But we didn't see a whole lot of, I don't think we saw a, a massive step in any one area. Because I didn't, I don't, I didn't see a step in mobility. I didn't see a step in puck skills or offensive upside. And um, like you said, I I see a safe player with Baron. I think I I see a guy where you could take him in the second round and he'll turn into an NHL defenseman. But I don't see the upside that would have warranted him to be the number two defenseman off the board, like people were thinking he could be last summer. Yeah. And uh, I think moving forward, especially as he moves into um, I believe his third season in the queue. Yep. We're going to need to see that next step for him. Where is he going to be able to outperform what's likely going to be his draft position now? Is he going to be able to add those tools, add that next step, add that wow factor that's going to make him, make people wonder why he went as low as he did and show that upside that he once had as a potential top 15 pick in this draft? I mean, the difference, I mean, we're not talking a huge difference here. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, possibly getting a bit more uh, explosive in his skating. We're talking about improving a shot. Just something like that can open up a whole new sort of chapter to his game in terms of point production. It could be a whole new chapter in terms of how he can play defensively and improve himself. But we're talking about a guy that was so highly regarded that you could argue that He's probably now closer to a player like a, and this is not a knock, but more like a David Savard, that you know that type of player. Where before people were saying, well, if he can get the shooting and the skating right, we probably might have an Alex Petrangelo type. Do you know what I mean? That type of leader, the guy that can you can trust in to play big minutes, can do everything. But at the moment, it's that elevation hasn't happened. So you're getting like this David Savard type vibe, where it's like you know he can be really reliable. 
He's not going to really cost you games, but he's not going to win them for you either. That's my exact thoughts is I don't see a skill set. Like you said, there's nothing there that's going to win you a game, but he's not going to lose you any games. And that's something that if you're getting him with a second round pick, coaches are going to like yeah. that. And the kid you get at that position where you can likely slot him into an NHL lineup. He'll play defensive minutes, play PK, but he's likely, he's not going to go above and beyond unless he adds that extra offensive toolkit where he's going to go out on any given shift like a Petrangelo, like a Colton Pareko, and he's going to win you a game off what he can do. Um, and I think that's it's a lot of the story with them is uh, there's a really good base there. It's just will he be able to develop more tools where he'll be able to outperform where he's likely projected at the moment. Uh, and we're going to move right along to another defenseman from the queue, which is Lucas Cormier, who's a left shot 5'10 defenseman from the Charlatan uh, Islanders. And we just discussed with Baron that uh, Baron doesn't quite have that dynamic skating ability or that really first step quickness. And Cormier is the exact opposite. Cormier, for my money, is one of the better pure skaters in this draft. He's really smooth on his skates, really good top end speed, uh, controls gaps really well with, with that four-way mobility that he has. And he has a really strong two-way presence. I feel as well, but like we just talked about with Baron, uh, and even though Cormier produced more this year, uh, when you prorate their point totals, I'm not sure I see that purely translatable offensive skill set in Cormier. I don't see a lot of puck skills. I don't see even the kind of offensive IQ that a William Villeneuve has shown at times, where you know Cormier might not he may not ever be a 50 point NHL defenseman, but I think the projection comes from Cormier is uh, just how high end his projectability is as a puck mover. Cause like I said, he's can absolutely fly when he has the puck on his stick. Yeah. He's among the best skaters in this draft. And um, I think if you're talking about, if you're just looking for a guy that can transition pucks out of your zone, I think Cormier is a very strong bet. If you're looking at him with a late first or an early second. I mean, the, the obvious sort of, comp for Cormier is a guy like Samuel Gerard. And that's not based on sort of just the size. But you look at what Gerard does in terms of zone exits, that's the type of player Cormier is going to have to be to be successful in the NHL. He's going to have to be the guy that's going to have to use his skills, which is the high-end skating, the puck skills, the elusiveness to be effective because when in terms of production... I mean, he, what, five goals, five primary assists. So there's not that overly dynamic offensive threat. There's not the overly stout defensive uh, style that you'll get from Cormier. It's it's very much in the middle. Like, he moves the puck really well. Um, and especially in today's game, when we're talking about shot suppression and what is the best way to defend a lot of a lot of the answers are just basically is to not let the puck into your zone like def- defend the blue line and a lot of that has to do with turn turnover and having the ability to skate the puck clear and having a guy like Cormier and you look at a bru- uh, blueprint of someone like Gerard or even like a Victor Mete in Montreal the smaller type players who uh, rely on transition to be effective that's what you're going to have to get in Cormier and I'm not as high on him as some people think I mean I have him 
well, at 50 because as much as I like the the skating and the puck handling, the ability to force plays and to push the pace from the back end, there just isn't that um, next level in terms of offensive capability and definitely his own end, he has a lot to work on. And when we're talking, as you said, like Golic Villeneuve, um, the difference there between those two, if you want to throw another Q, another defender into that mix, is just the general hockey IQ and smarts over 200 feet. It's For Cormier, it's just not there yet. Um, he's a very raw talent. He's a guy that it's going to take a lot of time to build the necessary skills to be a true possible defenseman because he's, he's boom or bust, Cormier. He's that type of guy that has that ceiling where it's like you either hit it and you're going to be really good or you're not going to quite hit it. And the same for Poirier as well. It's, it's such a fine line with these guys because there's just not that level ability. There's not that general coverage of, of skill to be the defenseman. It's There's almost more offensive traits, winger-type traits in some of these guys. So Cormier is going to be one of those picks that someone may reach on because there is a, a, a really attractive package in terms of his movement and ability but the rest of it's going to take a bit of time to come. Well, if you talk about what has been successful in the NHL these past few years, you've seen the game move so much towards uh, speed and skating. And I think Cormier, he's the hes the beginning of what you talk about with the prototy- prototypical modern defenseman. And I, th- I think Samuel Gerrard's uh, a good comp for him uh, because like you said, they do a lot of the same things well. Uh, and if you can have a defenseman that can transition the puck, I think that's one of the most important things a defenseman can do is just get the puck and get it out of your zone. And in particular, get it out of your zone with control. And I think that's where the upside comes with Cormier. And I think there's always room for on an NHL roster for a player like that. For me, he'll probably, you know, like my rankings aren't solidified at all yet, but he'll probably slot in that, know 27 to 33 range because uh even though there's there's concerns with maybe some defensive iq and some offensive upside uh i do think they're somewhat outweighed by how projectable he is as a top-end transition defenseman he might not be uh elite in any other area but if he can transition the puck i think he has a spot in an nhl top four someday now we're gonna move along uh going back to shawinigan and we're going to touch on uh, Vasily Ponomarev, a Russian import this year who had, uh, he's had tremendous success at international levels. And uh, he had a decent season this year for the Cataract Days. He had 49 points in 57 games. Uh, but I do think there was a little more expected there when you look at the package that he brings. And I think we expected there to be a little more production. And I'm, I'm curious uh, where you stand on him, Ash. <sighs> he, he's one of these guys that... As you said, you just wanted more from it. You look at his skill set and how offensive he is, and and just game in game out, it's like how does he how does how does he not end up with more points? I mean, he's electric. I I, I think he, he's one of these guys too that possibly may slip to middle of the second round, early second. Round. But if all pans out for him. And you got to remember, he he's he's an import. He's you know he, he had a really good season, but I th- he's one of these guys that 
may make us all look stupid in three or four seasons' time because there's just so much to like about him offensively, but it's almost like not all the aspects have clicked for him yet. I mean, in terms of point totals, I wasn't disappointed, but I wanted more because he watching him, he offers more than what he produces. And that's one thing I think he needs to not find an identity, but find something that's going to bring him to that next level in terms of being a prospect. Because right now, to me, he's like a, a middle second round type prospect. But he's he's got a lot of talent and it's and it's almost frustrating for me to have him at like at forty two ranked so far because it's like I know there's so much more there but it's just I don't see it I didn't really see a massive progression throughout the season where I said well he shot throughout the years getting better his skating's getting a little bit better Um, defensively he's pretty stout I mean there's not a lot wrong there but throughout the season I just didn't see that massive leap in any form that make me think well you, you might be a first round talent for me yeah, and he uh, at the start of the year he was especially after that his fantastic international showings this last summer he was a guy who was pushing top fifteen for me at one point. Yeah, uh, because like you said, there's a really good toolkit there where you see the tools that he has and you wonder why it just didn't quite click all the way for him this year. Going into the year, I mean, if you told me Panamerev and Bork's point totals were going to be flipped from where they are. Right now, if you told me, told me at the beginning of the year, I would have 100% believed you. Because I, I always saw a more dynamic skill set in Ponomarev. Because he has, like you said, he has that really good two-way base already. But then he has, I always thought, it, I always liked his puck skills a lot. And I liked his offensive awareness a lot. Like, this kid has this fantastic vision. I think he reads the play really well. And I think that's why I'm so surprised it didn't quite work for him this year. Um, so I think, you think of some of the players that are able to come over and transition to North American ice really well. It's the players that can think the best. And I always thought that was yeah. one of the best parts of Ponomarev's game is uh, the vision and the offensive smarts. And I, I do wonder now that he has a season of North American hockey under his belt, if maybe next year, uh, that's when you see Ponomarev really blow up and become what we think he could be based on his toolkit. Because uh, he has a lot of the tools I would want out of a center. Yeah, I think he's he's smart. Uh, plays a good two-way game. It's a good playmaker, good offensive vision. And uh, like you said, he's he's a kid where he started to slip for me. And I looked at my board at one point and I was like, how how is he at 50? Yeah, like, like, how did he get there? <laughs> yeah, like like you like you're working on your on your list and you look down and you're like, that he shouldn't be that low. That doesn't make sense when I think about all the tools he does or he has. And uh, I think it just comes down to he he just, I, I expected more. I think that's what it comes down to. I think it's a, it's a difference between what was expected from him and what actually panned out this year. Yeah. Um, and next year, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him spurred up in his D plus one and uh, hang 80 in the queue. And I think a lot of it comes down to the projection with that skill set. And uh, if you're willing to take that bet, probably with, at this point with an early second, uh, I see a path where he could absolutely you know, out earn that. I think with him, I mean, I like his, I like the physical side of his game. I, I like the fact that he's not afraid to 
throw the body around a bit either. But for me, he only averaged two and a half shots a game, just a tick over two and a half shots a game. I think, and he scored 13 even strength goals. I think that's one area where he can start to improve. I, th- I think more shot volume because, as you said, he's really smart. He's got great vision. He's got good hands. If he can nudge that up, I mean, if, if we're talking about a guy that, as you said, he may hang 80, I mean, he's going to have to find those goals. So he's going to have to start upping his shooting. He's going to have to find more ways to score. And I think, I mean, the overall package, as we said, it looks nice. Like you watch him like that. He is capable of making highlight real plays, but it's just not consistent enough to be the play that we feel he can be. Yeah, like like you said, I think I think maybe it's just uh, even though I, I think he is such a smart player, maybe it was just the difference in just the size of the ice coming over to North America, and maybe it just took him a little longer than I expected for him to understand how he fits in the offensive zone and how to score goals on North American ice. And uh, if he can do a better job of getting his shots on net and maybe filtering more high danger chances, that's where you're going to see the point totals tick up for him. But uh, if you're just betting on a skill set. I don't think there's a lot of bets that are uh, much better than Ponomarev if you're going to get him in the middle of the second round. Now we're going to move on to maybe maybe some more of the the depth parts of the draft when it comes to the queue. And we're going to start off with uh, Timo Nickel, who's an Austrian import uh, who plays for the Drummondville Voltagers. He's a right shot defenseman, six two, but he's a really lanky kid. He yeah. only stands at around one sixty one, or only weighs in at around one sixty one at the moment. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, room for growth there where you can add strength and fill out that frame a little more nicely. And the thing that stands out so much about Nickel is, like Cormier, like we talked about earlier, Nickel's a really great uh, smooth four-way skater. And at the uh, the testing for the CHL Top Prospects game, uh, I believe he was the fastest backward skater. I think he was the second fastest forward skater. Uh, so we're talking about a really high-end skater right here with Nickel. And on top of that, I think there's a really good two-way toolkit, like what we talked about with Justin Barron earlier. And there's maybe maybe there's not a dynamic skill set there. You're not going to see him make a lot of offensive plays, but uh, we're talking about a player that's just really efficient and how he moves the puck. I think he's a really worthwhile look in the third round because it's like we talked about with guys like like Barron and Cormier, where uh, there's not a ton of offensive upside, but the way they're able to move pucks efficiently. And uh, just get the puck out of their zone with control. I think there's a lot of optimism there for Nickel as a transition defenseman at the NHL level. Yeah, and the thing with Timo Nickel as well, um, as you said, he's quite slight, but he's got that frame that he can build onto, which is a really good thing. He's going to get stronger, and and I like his willingness to try and stand guys up on the blue line. Like there's no, like sometimes we saw him got, there's that highlight goal from Lafreniere where he absolutely burns Timo like, and it looks bad, but, but it's not a bad thing because he's trying to, he is defending the right way and his frame doesn't allow him at the moment to sort of defend the way he wants to, because he wants to not only be that transition guy, as you said, but he wants to be a guy that can stand you up at the blue line, stick check you, push you wide. Um, there was an interview with Nico, um, I think it was in January. I can't remember who it was with, but he basically said that he knows he needs to be more offensive. He knows that there's more um, that he has to offer 
um, in that in that sense. But interesting how you mentioned the skating. I mean, how he's what the second quickest um, forwards, fastest backwards. You don't necessarily get that in droves in the game. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes he almost can launder Mm -hmm. around and he sort of doesn't, I wouldn't say he's disinterested, but I think he's a very reserved skater in terms of his effort sometimes. But if he maybe did, do you think if he maybe went full noise a bit more in terms of skating, um, do you think would improve his stocks at all? I mean, it's a bit like now, obviously, but would it have? I mean, would it have improved if? Because he said, as I said, he he, if he's that fast, you don't necessarily see it shift to shift. Yeah, I I do wonder if maybe he showed it more. Maybe we're talking about him more in line with how people are talking about Lucas Cormier. Yeah, because uh, a lot of the attributes I just described are a lot of the same things that I liked about Cormier. Yeah, because there's a lot of a lot of upside there in the transition game with how well they're able to skate. And in the testing, Nickel showed that he's uh, capable of it. And uh, I think the word I always come back to when I think about Nickel is efficiency. So maybe it's just more of uh, he's just more of a reserve player on the ice. He plays more efficiently, doesn't run around too much. But maybe if he just allows himself to open up more and uh, allow that skating ability to shine through more, we'll see more successful transitions of the puck out of his own zone when he he's skating it himself. In a way, it's like. Uh, when we talked about Jacob Perot, that's another player who uh, you don't quite see it game to game how fast he is, but he did incredible at the top prospects game. And you see those flashes come out every so often. And if they can just tap into that parts of their game more, uh, that's where you see the upside tick up even further for players like that. So I think it might just be more of a mindset type thing with Nickel. Yeah. Um, where if he's willing to tap into that part of his game more, uh, there's a lot of optimistic projection there into a, a puck moving defenseman at the NHL level. And we'll move right along now to probably more another third round type player from the queue. And that would be uh, Ryan Francis, who's a center slash right wing from the Cape Breton Eagles. Bit of a slight player, only at 5'9", 168 uh, as a right shot. But he had a really strong offensive season this year in the queue with 72 points in 61 games. And uh, I'm curious where you stand on him, Ash. Well, in terms of production, there's a lot to like. We're talking about 21 even strength goals at 20 assists. Um, 41 points at even strength is no nothing to joke about. But with Francis, like they said, he's five nine, but he skates sometimes like he's six foot seven, and to me, it, it holds him back from being. He's a good playmaker, and he shows it every now and then that the puck skills that he possesses the ability to create space and, and he's a really good passer are there. But more often than not, um, he just lacks the pace to really set a game alight. He really lacks that high-end skating ability where he can make space for himself. A lot of the time, um, he's creating, but it's a lot of it's on the perimeter. It's A lot of it is peripheral-type play. Francis is one of these guys where you look at and you think, well, there is, he had a really good season and there is a, a noticeable somewhat deficiency in his game. But for me, just the edge work and everything that should be there isn't. But then you look and say, well, a lot of players have really good movement. Like you can talk about a player like John Tavares, who has never been an, an elite skater. 
you know what I mean? But he know they know where to be. They know where the puck's going to be. They move so well. They're, they're clean skaters, but they're not elite. But with Ryan Francis, it's like there's not that sort of sense of he knows where to be on the ice either. He doesn't know how to somewhat um, offset he's sort of I call it bricky skating <laughs> brick, like, you've got bricks attached to his skate sometimes but um, it doesn't really offset the bricky skating that he's got and um, as much as I like the production I just don't think the physical side of his game be it both his size and the ability to make his own space and to play a bit bigger um, to me it's just not there yeah there's there's some aspects of his game that are missing when you think about what you typically want out of a smaller player. But I, I think the reason why you see him, you know, come up with 72 points this year in 61 games and two thirds of which were assists. I think it's um, how adept he is as a playmaker. Cause even mm-hmm. though he doesn't open up a lot of space with, with his skating, I think he does a really good job of surveying the zone and finding open yeah. lanes and way to filter pucks. And I think He's that's why he was, passer. Yeah, and I think that's why he was such a good compliment to a player who we're going to touch on just a little bit, uh, Yeager Sokolov. Even though, you know, Francis is a tiny little guy who was able to pass to, you know, this giant 6'4 hulking winger all year with a massive shot. And uh, I think there's there's aspects of his skating and uh, maybe some work to do where, you know, he needs to become less of a perimeter player, and that's where... Uh, the development needs to come for Francis. But if you can pair him with a player, you know, that's kind of like Sokolov, it's a bigger shooting player. I think there's a projection there for him as uh, maybe a depth playmaker at the NHL level. Um, But if he can add that skating ability, maybe that upside is even higher. Or maybe we're talking about more than just a depth player, but maybe a player that can come into your top nine, play some power play time. That might be a good spot for him just because of how good his vision is and his passing ability where if he's able to uh, just have space to survey the zone and uh, send passes, I think that's where the offensive upside comes for Ryan Francis. I mean, when we talk about his passing, how good it is and to being on the power play, like he's sort of built to be that guy that can sit on the half wall and patrol that side of the ice on a power play and just be patient and fire pucks and, and, find plays open because uh, but this uh, again like this Q class the depth we're talking now third fourth round type players but it's just like there's so much I know there's like a, a frustration with like especially a guy like Francis because you can see that he has got a really likable game but it's just not there I mean we're we're talking about if he was perhaps more elusive, had better edge work, a bit better speed. We're to, you know we're talking about a guy that could possibly be in that second round range because the production is basically there. There's nothing wrong with the production. It's just everything else behind that. And yeah, I mean I do like a lot of. Francis's game, as you said, he has got really nice playmaking ability. I think he's one of the better passers in the Q class, full stop. No matter where he's going to get picked, I think the passing is there. It's and and the thought process, the ability to process where the space is going to be, um, 
there's not a lot of forwards like Francis who can actually pass guys open, if you know what I mean. He can sit there and wait out where the space is going to be. I like how he can play the game at a quicker level and a slower level. He's like a, a two-pace playmaker. He doesn't have to be um, pushing plays too much. He doesn't have to force things much. He can sort of dictate the pace of play, which I like. But it's more so just the physical aspect to his game being um, he hasn't got the elusiveness and the skating ability a guy his size will need to be a really effective pro at the next level. I think that if he can work on that, then, as you said, you're talking about a top nine, possibly middle six guy at most, at max. But until I see more in terms of um, the physical attributes and the skating, um, I'm sort of reserved as to what his ceiling can be as a pro. Yeah, there's absolutely no concerns about his draft year production. It's just, is that production going to be translatable with the way he plays the game at the moment? Uh, and it's adding those those tools that we mentioned is going to be the difference between whether or not he'll be able to bring that skill set to the NHL. And now we're going to move along to another player who uh, stands at around a very similar frame to Francis. Uh, and that'd be another podcast guest, Brady Burns. He's a 5'10". 161 pound uh, center slash left wing from the St. John's Sea Dogs. He had a strong offensive year this year, I would say. He had 57 points, 27 of which were goals in 64 games for the Sea Dogs. And uh, I think some of what Burns brings, uh, he has some of those aspects that we think are missing from Francis's game. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you want to compare the two, I think Burns, he does a lot, he does a much better job of playing the game with pace. Uh, I think he's a really quick skater and I love the way he's able to open up space with his hands. He's a really creative player from what I've seen. And if you're discussing players that could be in for a big blow up next year, I think Brady Burns has to be, you know, talked about in that list. Uh, Cause there's a lot of offensive upside there. Uh, I remember when I first watched St. John in preparation for this draft, it was last summer and, uh, I turned on St. John because I wanted to watch Jeremy Poirier. And after the first period, I'd taken down you know, Brady's name a couple of times in my notebook already because he was just catching my eye with some of the plays he's able to make in space. And the way he was able to you know, keep his head up, puck handle, and able to find space on the ice and in the offensive mm. zone because of how quick his hands and his brain can keep up with each other. And uh, I think there is there's upside there where where Brady could become one of the better producers in the QMJHL in a season or two. Yeah, and I was talking to Brady the other day, talking about because they've got a new coach now. They're, they're starting again with the coaching staff, basically. They're, they're really trying to re, not rebrand the way they play, but they, they want to start fresh again. Um, but in terms of guys that might explode, they've got a hell of a centre battle. At St. John. I mean, we're talking about Brady Burns and, and Joshua away in the same team. I mean, we've got a lot of, like, if we're talking centres next year, the queue is stacked. I mean, you talk oh, about yeah. all the Zacks. Um, Joshua was <laughs> right. The James Malatesta, it's huge. Like, it's, it's, Joshua Roy's right there. And that team is going to have to have a lot of, um, competitiveness 
between each other. And they said in the podcast, healthy competition in that team is really strong and healthy competition in a team is good. They're going to push each other because that's a young, young team. And they've just added Logan Carruthers as well. I don't think he's going to have that amount of input as like Burns and Wah did. But Burns, in terms of goal scoring and being a sneak, the way he's able to position himself, especially around the crease area, and for a smaller guy, he battles for a lot of pucks. Like He doesn't give an inch in terms of skating through the dirty area, taking a hit, and still getting a shot off and making a play. Um, When you see him on the power play, he sets up on that left-hand side, and his shot is hard to stop. He's got an accurate... It's not heavy. His shot hasn't got a lot of weight, but it's accurate, and it's quick. He's got a really whippy release, which I like. Very much underrated, I think. I mean, obviously, he needs to... He can't help his size, but he needs to get bigger. He needs to get a bit stronger, but he's also willing to get to the dirty areas as well, which is good. Um, some technical skating, I think. Uh, he's a good skater, but, I, I, again, for a smaller guy, I think there's more. I think he's can be a bit more dynamic in the way he can pivot and curl, especially with the puck. I think he can be a lot more elusive, um, thus giving himself a bit more space, especially on the puck. Because when you talk about Burns, he uh, personally, a lot of the stuff he does for me, the best stuff is when he's off the puck, when he's moving to find space, when he's actually able to process where he can go to score. Um, especially on the power play. When you watch him on the power play, he's so, in a word, delicate in the way he can actually move around. You almost don't notice he's there. You see him, he can be at the point, and next minute he's down at the goal crease, and no one's even know he's there. And that's not due to height. Don't worry, I'm not saying he's five foot and and no one can see him. He's just so smart at finding soft spots on the ice and, and smart at finding ways to help his tool as you say as you say his toolkit his toolkit is is he is a really good finisher around the net he's up close he's got a really he can raise the puck under the bar he's really crafty he can deke around people he's just really good at actually facilitating his skill set and that's going to be a hell of a center battle next year of that team that team has a lot of talent to go a long way yeah there's there's a lot of exciting things he does with, especially his hands and tight really, really excite me. And I think a lot of the work that needs to be done there is just adding strength. Yeah. Because I mean, five ten, that's not super short by today's standards, but 161 pounds. Like he's got to add a lot of strength. He's going to be able to play against NHL defensemen, especially if he's going to be able to battle for ice in the middle of, you know, an NHL or offensive zone. He's he's willing to engage, but it's just he's going to be able to do that yeah. if he doesn't add more strength onto his frame. So I think that's where the projection comes from him. But if you're talking about a player that just has a well-rounded offensive toolkit, I think uh, I think Burns fits the bill, and he just the way he could project. He reminds me a little bit of the way uh, Alex Barre Boulay was able to yeah. grow into a top producer at the at the Q level, and then become a top producer at the AHL level. Where he's you're probably looking at you know, someone like him breaking into the NHL in a year. Just going back to, to Burns, he was actually the bump guy on the power play. He was the guy screening. He was the guy at the goal face. 
and a lot of that was because he's reading reaction replay. Like he can sit there and have a skate in the crease, and before you know it, he's three feet away on the goal line. He's got the puck. You don't even know he's there. Yeah, he he, he has that elusiveness and that that ability to to read and react, which yeah. I, I think is exciting as well. And now we're, we're going to move along to another pretty undersized player, but a player that I know some people are, are pretty excited about uh, as an overager in this class. And that would be uh, Xavier Simonu, who plays for the Drummondville Voltagers. He's a left shot center, but stands at only around 5'7", 176 or thereabouts. But this year he had a fantastic offensive output with 89 points in 61 games for Drummondville. And 61 of those were assists. He was an assist per game player this year uh, in the queue for Drummondville. And so much of that is because of how well he sees offensive zone and his offensive vision, I think, is is really top-notch. The last time I watched Drummondville, he was, uh, even though he's not always the most dynamic player, but he was just able to dictate pace whenever he was on the ice just because of how well he thought the game and how good of a job he did of uh, filtering pucks to high danger areas. And um, I thought he did a lot of his own work as well to retrieve pucks. And it just, it felt like the puck was falling around all game and it just does such a good job of having the play follow him around and always being on top of where the play is going and understanding how offense is generated and how you score goals, especially at the junior level. Yeah. I mean, obviously the captain this year, he's, uh, he's got, he's got that leadership uh, trait to him too, which is, is, is good, but uh, he, he's a really hard one to place because when you're talking about, um, especially he and Oxentook, I mean, they're arguably the two best overages in this class, but they also happen to be the, basically the smallest. <laughs> so yeah. it's, you know, it's, um, it certainly doesn't help, but in terms of, of playmaking, He's he's really really good. Um, I think that in terms of being an, I don't think he's going to get necessarily overlooked like a lot of some overagers do. I mean, I, I personally, I don't really have any overagers in my top one hundred because I just think that there's more more risk to gain in taking a guy a bit younger within the first sort of three rounds, but I would have no problem with him going late second, early third, based on just how dynamic he was this year, just how much, when the puck is on his stick, how much he can control the game. And, I mean, where, where would you put him in terms of overages, say, this decade? I know it's a hard question and we didn't prep for it, but but just in terms of raw natural puck ability and ability to sort of control games, he has to be up there. I think I think he would be up there. I mean, he's not he's not he's on the same level as like a you know like like a Henrik Borgström or a Samuel Fagamo or anything like that. No, but I think he's a very worthwhile bet with where you'd be able to get him in terms of where overage players usually tend to go in the draft. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe you start to see teams go on a run of overagers towards the end of the third round, start of the fourth. And I think that's a really worthwhile spot for him because just the quality of player you're usually able to grab at around that spot. I don't think usually that type of player is able to impact the game uh, as well and consistently as uh, Simon, you did this year in the QMJHL. He just does such a good job of, 
dictating the pace of play. Uh, and just, he was such a relied upon player for that team. I think he did such a good job of really, I mean, like you said, he was the captain this year. He had that leadership role and he took it upon himself to, to be the guy on that team. And whenever he was on the ice, the puck went through him and he put up a bushel of points this year. He had a lot of success. And if you're talking about a player you can get, you know, in the middle of the draft, um, I, I don't think there's a lot of bets that are better than Seaman Yu because that kind of player, if you're drafting, say you draft a, a Ryan Francis, I think you're hoping he's what Seaman Yo is a year later. Yeah. Whereas you can just grab that player right now and know that he's already at the level where uh, maybe he's only another year away from the AHL. And uh, he's already at the level where he's a top producer in the QMJHL because of his uh, ability to read and dictate and generate offensive opportunities because of his passing ability and his vision. And now moving on to our final player, I think uh, I'm just thinking of this right now. He's probably the polar opposite of Seaman Hugh. Yeah. Uh, he's also an overager. He plays for the uh, Cape Brighton Eagles, which is uh, Yegor Sokolov, who's a right winger. And like uh, I brought him up briefly when we were talking about Ryan Francis. He's a hulking winger at six foot four and uh 240 pounds which is uh, a little ridiculous he's a big but, boy uh, big boy but this year he had a really strong offensive year i believe he was this will be his third time through the draft yeah uh he had 46 goals this year in 52 games 96 points for the the eagles uh he played a role for russia uh at the world juniors for their silver silver medal team and you see right there in the stat line, what you're getting with him is a massive player with a massive shot. Uh, you can crank the puck. You can absolutely rip it, get a lot of weight behind it. You put up 46 goals this year. I don't think that stat line needs a whole lot of explaining. No. Um, I think, I think we, I think me and you have talked briefly about Sokolov off air a little bit. Yeah. I think we have a lot of the same concerns. Um, and for, for me, it's, uh, it's foot speed but particularly it's it's engagement i i think especially for a player at his size i'd like to see him do more dirty work and fight more of his own battles i think there's a lot of times especially in the offensive zone um you see him puck watching a little bit and mm. just kind of waiting for one of his teammates to make a play to him rather than uh you know rolling his sleeves up and getting in there and uh doing more of his dirty work and for a player his size you would like to see more competitiveness and more bite and more willingness to engage. Yeah. And uh, I think especially what you look, f- what a lot of NHL coaches look for, I think he's the kind of player that could drive coaches crazy in that sense. Because even though he can bury opportunities when they come along, I don't think he does a lot to generate opportunities. Yeah. Um, he's just, from what I've seen, he's not a great offensive catalyst. He's just not going to do a lot that's positive for your team to generate scoring opportunities. And you need to pair him with a player like a Ryan Francis, who's going to be able to set up those plays for him. Yeah, and and the and as you just said, like the, his willingness not to necessarily get dirty to win his own pucks, that works fine for him at this level. That's how he's successful, and that's how his teammates are successful with him. You know, but it's what he's going to have to do at the next level to make it. 
is because the skating and the mobility isn't great, he's going to have to win his own pucks. He's going to have to win those battles. He's going to have to learn to play to his size to get a gig. It's as simple as that. And, you know, as, as good as it is, it's 46 goals. It's fun to watch. You like seeing him wind up. You like seeing the hard shot. You like seeing the water bottle go flying 15 tiers back. But it's just the the willingness to engage to do what he needs to do to get to the next level because he's still in the mindset of being a goal scorer and a sniper, but his mindset has to be more than that. And that's why we're sitting here talking about him again now because there is just there hasn't been a progression in terms of um, his skating. I still think he's too heavy in terms of... If he wants to get better skating, he wants to get more fleet of foot, he has to get lighter. He has to be fitter. He has to have a bit more stamina. He, he's really hard to read because you could look at him and say, well, he could. there's no reason why he can't be a guy like Alex Chason or Zach Cassian, a guy that can bump. Um, we talk about a guy like Raphael Lavoie, who's big and can score. But you look at how they do it. Those type of players who are bigger and can play a role. They're bigger, they engage, they're selfless, they give their body up. But they also can score too. But when it comes to Sokolov, it's like, you can score, but what else? Uh, the the engagement, especially in offensive cycle, isn't there. He's very much a, I'll call it a sit and stare. He'll sit and stare until the puck yes. comes to him. And... As I said, that works in junior. That's fine. If that's how he wants to play in junior and if that's how the team wants to be successful with him scoring 46 goals, that's fine. But we're not talking about what he's going to be next year in junior. We're talking about what he's going to be five, ten years down the road. And until he changes his method, the way he plays, um, I don't really see any more than probably a really solid AHL, probably a depth guy at best because there's just, besides the shot... There's just a, a drop off there. Yeah, and I mean, the, the big issue we we keep coming back to, um, it's engagement. That's all it is. Is 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 he willing to engage in the play when when the puck's loose? Is he able to get in there and actually provide a positive impact for his team, or is he going to wait around and wait for his team to do something positive for him? Yeah, you know, we talk about you know players that have the kind of frame that he has, you know, you brought up like a Zach Cassian and an Alex chase on the difference is with those guys is they engage, they're engaged in the game. They don't wait for the game to come to them. They go and they try and make it happen for their teammates. And Sokolov hasn't shown that to this point. Um, like, like you said, he's, he's not light enough. I don't think he's fit enough. And I, I think there's a lot of hurdles there. Uh, I think people get drawn in by the heavy shot and the goal scoring ability, but uh there's just so much work that needs to be done there just in terms of a mindset for Sokolov to become a pro-level hockey player. Yeah, and that's fine. Like I said, he, 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 he at best, he's probably a, a good player at like an AHL level. But I, yeah. I think when it all comes down to he's going to be a guy that we see get paid a bucket load and probably in Russia in five, six seasons' time. I think that just in terms of NHL quality, I just don't see it. I think, as you said, he's polarizing. He's fun to watch. It's it's it's, it's nice seeing a guy who can rip 46 goals, but in the context of being an NHL player, 
it's not there. Yeah, I, I think we're we're in, we're in full agreement on that. I think that'll just about wrap it up for our look at the the QMJHL. Now, before we we sign off, I think uh, at this point we're about eight or nine days away from the restart of the NHL season, which I know we're all very excited about. And uh, just a quick top of the head, something that's just fun to talk about. I want to know who is your pre-play-in pick to win the 2020 Stanley Cup, Ash? Ooh. Um, my heart says Colorado. I mean, they're fit. <laughs> Everyone, I mean, now, of course, Carl McCarr hasn't practiced for two days. Everyone's lost their minds. He's probably got a broken toenail. But due to patient confidentiality, he's deemed unfit. Um, mm-hmm. My heart says Colorado, but... The thing that scares me the most is a fit Pittsburgh team because you look at the way Malkin carried that team without Sid. You look at how they dealt with everything without Jake Gensel, how they got scoring from guys Brian Rust was able to lift. They've got a veteran presence in Paddy Marlowe. Um, The defense, for me, is still a bit sketchy. I mean... Latang's fine. John Marino's been really good. He's been a really undervalued rookie this season. Um, Brian Dumoulin does things that probably doesn't get enough recognition for. But on defense, they're an injury. You're two away from having real depth problems. And having a goalie battle between Jari and Murray can only be a good thing because those two guys have pretty much gone head for head in terms of who deserves to start, um, especially down the track. So... To me, a healthy Pittsburgh team scares the daylights out of me because they're all consummate pros. They've all been there before. And having these, especially having to sit healthy, Gensel healthy, I'm saying Avs because that's where I want it to go. But I don't think Pittsburgh's done. I still think there's gas in the tank. Yeah, and you... uh... I was I was listening to an episode of uh, Thirty One Thoughts recently, actually, with uh, Elliot Freeman and Jeff Merrick. And Elliot said that uh, he's heard there's two teams in particular that are taking this uh, this you know this restart and this playoff really seriously. And he said, uh, "You're Colorado Avalanche and the Pittsburgh Penguins." Fair enough. <laughs> um, so uh, two two teams that there that I can absolutely see going far. We need to talk about talent and apparently how committed and how seriously they're taking this opportunity right now. And uh, I think as for my pick, uh, I'm going to go with still the the new kids on the block. I'm going to go with the Vegas Golden Knights because I love this team. I love how they play the game from an analytical perspective. They control the puck. They have one of the most underrated players in the entire league in Mark Stone. They have one of the most underrated defensemen in the entire league in Shea Theodore. They have Robin Lehner to back them. Uh, and if you talk about a team that has everything from puck possession to skill to depth, I think Vegas has it all. And I think they're going to be the 2020 COVID Stanley Cup champions. And just quickly touching on Theodore, he's an absolute weapon. But in terms of, uh, obviously now, the awards are all coming out. I think people forget what Shea Theodore went through last season too. He was incredible. I, I mean, you, <laughs> you just heard. I think the world of him. Yeah. I, I love Shea Theodore. If uh, they don't give me a vote 
on the Norse, but uh, if they did, uh, he would have he would have been in my ballot for sure. Um, and I think all he needs is one playoff to have his coming out party for people to realize how good good how good he is. And let's all just take a moment to appreciate just how good the Ducks' prospect pool balls in defense to what it is now. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and also, to once, d- upon a, once upon a time, one of the best, and then they just they traded all of them. Pretty and, much. And also, to just quickly before we go, talking about because this is a prospect podcast, not just about this current class. But Jared Bedner this morning said that Bowen Byram is the best he's ever seen him. What a weapon that would be for the Avalanche to add him for their playoff run if he's if he's playing his best hockey right now, and we've seen what he can do with the W. If he's playing at a higher level than that. And Colorado could be it also. So that's something to watch out for uh, with all the prospects as well that are going to be in the play-in. You know, yeah. looking at Bowen Byram, uh, uh, Nick Robertson, Samuel Poulin from the from the Penguins. Yeah. So that's something to keep an eye on as well, just coming back to the prospects. I think that'll do it for us this week from Painting Prospects from Florida Ceiling. Really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, if you did, you can give us uh like a subscribe a follow whatever you can to support us um you can follow myself at bholmes underscore hockey and you can follow my co-host ash here uh at ash glover hockey on twitter i uh, hope you had a fun time listening to this and we'll see you next time bye-bye go crackin'.